Good morning. It's good to be back with you. I've been gone for the past five weeks on a study leave, and uh, it's an amazing opportunity. The church uh, gives me a chance to be able to get away, uh, to rest, to pray, to be able to listen to the Lord and just uh, hear what he has to say to us as a church. I'm so grateful it came uh, for me at the time when it did. It was such a blessing. I know many of you prayed for me. I'm very appreciative of that. One of the things I most look forward to after my study leave is over is coming back and sharing with you some of the things that God says, but I do agree it's a challenge to try to sum up five weeks of what God has said in sort of a few statements. And so as I thought through how do I share with you just a little bit of what God uh, said to me, There were two things that I felt like I needed to uh, address this morning or at least kind of talk about and share with you. The first is that I spent a lot of time on my study leave getting ready and preparing for the next sermon series that we're going to do as a church. And uh, the Lord made it very, very clear. uh, The next sermon series, next book series we're supposed to do starting in the fall is the book of Revelation. So yeah, I thought, huh, that's a tough book. I spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation, and I will honestly say more than any other book study that we've done that I've been trying to get ready for, it took a lot of fasting, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, study, a lot of trying to listen to the Lord's voice and to say, okay, Lord, what in the world are you saying in this passage? And what does that mean? And what in the world is that thing? And so I'm super excited. I think if I had to kind of summarize the book of Revelation, it's a very, very sobering book. It's also an incredible blessing. And so it's sort of both of these things at once. It'll take your breath away to think about what God has planned, who God is, what he's doing, as well as the fact that you start to realize our God is a saving, merciful, kind God who does everything possible to try to get people to believe. So I'm looking forward to sharing uh, that with you. We'll start uh, that together in the fall. The second thing that I wanted to at least talk to you about uh, this morning is that God spent a lot of time on my study leave talking to me about the issue of race, uh, racism, COVID-19, the pandemic. Now, I actually was completely uh, shut off from any news, so I didn't read anything on the internet. I was like, Lord, why in the world are we talking about all this stuff? I've gotten back and realized why we've been talking about all these things. But it was just super helpful to have five weeks to go away and be able to kind of have the Lord say, here's what's going on to the best that I could understand it. And trying to listen and discern from the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to say to us as a church uh, and to me personally in the midst of all of this? Well, as we were talking, the Lord was talking and I was listening about things related to race. He connected some of the things he said to our passage for this morning in Malachi 1. So I'd like to share that with you 
And I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. It's page 778 in the church Bibles. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. So uh, it's sort of like two-thirds of the way through. Uh, Malachi chapter 1. Now, while you're turning, let me say, this is not, despite the introduction, this is not a sermon about race. It's a sermon about worship, but race is connected to worship. But we're not talking about what the U.S. government should be doing. We're not talking about protests. We're not talking about police brutality. We're not talking about how the workplace ought to work. There's lots of important stuff there, but our passage is about worship. And so what we're talking about this morning is worship and church. But God made very clear there are issues of race ethnicity, language that are associated with worship. So let me read for us Malachi chapter 1, and then let's hear what God has to say to us as a church today. Malachi chapter 1, we're in verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense, and burn pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations." Let's pray together that we might hear what God has to say to us from his word. 
Lord, we come humbly before you. This is a stern passage. Lord, my sense is you don't mean it for us in as stern a way as it might come across. But Lord, we want to be honest to say we don't always offer you the worship that you deserve. God, would you give us understanding? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see, Lord, what it is that you want from us, what it is that you deserve from us? Lord, you have treated us so kindly. You have been so gracious to us, so compassionate to us. Lord, we want to give you worship that you want, that will please you. But Lord, we cannot do this in and of ourselves. So by your spirit today, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. Open our minds and give us understanding. Lord, the topic of worship is the most important topic that we have. And the topic of race is one of the most contentious and difficult topics to talk about. Who can find their way through such a subject, Lord? Except your spirit teach us all things. This world has its opinions. We have our opinions, but we've not come to simply share those we want to hear from you, Lord. What do you desire? What do you want? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the situation in Israel is that they were essentially doing church for the sake of doing church. They didn't think that much of worship. They didn't think that much about what they were offering to God. And so they were bringing to God sheep, animals, rams that were not their best. And God says, look, I deserve more than this. I deserve better than this. And his point is, look, if you're just going to go through the motions, don't bother. Now, today, we're not talking about sacrifices of sheep or goats or rams. So what does this passage have to say to us today here at Calvary? I think the clue is in verses 11 and 14. In both those verses, God says the point of true worship is, my name is to be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where the sun sets, all nations need to know that I am a great God. And that God ties our worship to who he is in relationship to the nations. So let's pause for just a moment and go back in a little bit of a history lesson and talk about what is God's expectations with regards to worship as it connects to the nations. Well, all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, Genesis 9, God says to Noah and his descendants, this is after the flood, God is essentially rebooting humanity. He's restarting what he's done. And he says to Noah and his descendants, scatter and fill the earth. He does not want them to stay in a particular location. He says, go to the four corners of the earth and settle down in various places. Why does he do this? 
Well, because he wants the genetic material that he placed in Noah, the same genetic material he placed in Adam, which is the fountainhead for all the various cultures and races of people that we have in the world today, he wanted that to come to fruition. And so he says to Noah and his descendants, go, go into all the world and settle down because God knows that we will develop then different races and different cultures from the genetic material that God himself created and placed in Adam and also in Noah. You see, God loves diversity. That's why he created Adam the way that he did. We don't know what color Adam's skin was, but we know that all the races of the world all come from Adam and Eve, who God created to make us look like this. We also know that God cannot be adequately praised by any one culture or any one language or any one people group. He's simply too big. He's simply too great. There are essences of who God is in every culture and in every language. And when people of different backgrounds, people of different ways of thinking get together, we see more of a picture of the fullness of God. So God says to Noah, look, this is the plan. It's been the plan from the beginning. Before the fall, I created Adam with all this stuff. And I created Eve so that their offspring would create the cultures and languages of the world. Well, in Genesis chapter 11, at the Tower of Babel, we have a very strong, defiant act of humanity against God. Now, most of us heard Genesis 11, perhaps in Sunday school or growing up, and we think they built a tower that reaches to the heavens out of pride. Absolutely. But if you read Genesis 11 carefully, you will see there are two things they want to do. One is they want to build a tower and make a name for themselves. That is arrogance. The other thing they want to do is they say, so that we will not be scattered over the face of the earth. They essentially say, it's tough to have to move to a new place. It's tough to see all of these cultures form. It's tough. That's too hard. We don't want to do it. And so they say, we're going to stay right here. But so important was diversity of races and culture and language to God's plan that he actually stepped in in Genesis 11 and said, if you won't obey, I'm going to make you obey. And so he miraculously created languages and forced us to spread out over the earth because the creation of multiple cultures and races and languages was absolutely important for the human race. Why? Because God's set plan from the beginning of time was to unite all these cultures and all these races and all these languages in the one person who can unify them all, Jesus Christ. 
And in the fall, when we get to the book of Revelation, we're going to read together in Revelation chapter 5 these words. And they sang a new song, saying, You, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom, not kingdoms, one kingdom with one king and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And what God wants from us now, what God deserves from us is worship that is as racially diverse as possible. He says in Malachi, I'm God over the whole world and you're bringing me worship that is not worthy of a worldwide God. And what God wants is that kind of worship that's happening in Revelation to happen here at Calvary Church. He wants people of every nation, every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every skin color gathered together around the one person who can unite us. And if the world events or the events happening in our country today tell us anything, there isn't anything we can unify about except Jesus. And this brings Jesus glory. Now it's important to recognize in Malachi, God doesn't say to the Israelites, bring me the best sheep that exists in the world. He says, bring me the best sheep you have. So there are places that are more racially diverse than Grand Rapids, and there are places that are less racially diverse than Grand Rapids. And so God is not asking Calvary Church to have as many racially diverse worship services or cultures or language as perhaps in New York City or other places, but what he simply wants us to offer him is worship that is as diverse as possible. It's easier to go with worship that's not diverse, but that's the complaint in Malachi. You guys are going after the easy road. You sniff at my church and you say, what's the big deal? This is too much work for us. And God says, my name is to be great among the nations. And if you want to know what I want, if you want to know what I deserve, I deserve worship that is full here in this building, in this city. Worship that is full of every tribe, race, language, and tongue possible to offer to God the fullness of that worship. So the question for us is, why aren't we giving God that kind of worship? Why aren't we giving him worship that's as racially diverse as it could be here at Calvary Church? Well, on one hand, I want to at least say, we are to some extent. And I'm grateful that I've been at Calvary Church a long time. I'm grateful that today there are more Africans here. There are more Asians here. There are more Middle Easterners here. Uh, there are more Hispanics here. And I'm grateful to God that he's doing those things. 
But I want to be honest with you and say, he deserves better. (laughs) Our God deserves better. And the question, given the climate in America in which we live, is why aren't there more black people here? Why aren't there more people of other races here? Worshiping as a part of Calvary Church. God deserves better. Now, one possible answer to the question as to why there are not, for example, more black people who are part of Calvary Church is the answer, racism. I just want to be honest with you. I don't love the word racism. There's a few reasons why I don't love the word. Number one, it's not a biblical word. The concept of racism is in the Bible. We've got Jews and Samaritans, we've got Jews and Gentiles, we've got Israelites and Gibeonites, we've got all sorts of racial issues going on in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't tend to use the word racism, so it's a fine word, our culture uses it, you're free to use it, I'm just telling you up front, I don't find it to always be a super helpful word. I also don't find it to be super helpful at times, because racist and racism gets applied to a broad spectrum of things that I think sometimes get confusing. In the Bible, Jesus says there is adultery, which is actually having uh, an affair with somebody who's not your spouse, and then there is pornography, which is like adultery, but it's going on in your heart. And he differentiates they're similar, but they're different. So it is with racial things. There are overt racist hate crimes and activities. God hates them. There is also a racism of the heart. God also hates that. But there is a difference between how those two things play themselves out. And the problem is when you simply use one word, racist or racism, to cover that whole spectrum, it lets a lot of us off the hook because we're like, well, I'm not committing racist hate crime activities. And we don't address the fact that there might be racial attitudes in our hearts that God's not pleased with. But the real reason why I don't find the term racism super helpful for what we're talking about today, worship in the church, is that it's simply not broad enough of a word. God doesn't just want worship from blacks and whites together. He wants rich and poor. He wants old and young. He wants new Christians and people who've been Christians for a long time. He wants Republicans and Democrats worshiping together. He wants Enneagram 3s and Enneagram 7s in the same room worshiping them together. And the problem is, is the word racism is only talking about one, although very important, issue. And consistently in the New Testament, God uses a different word to talk about what he wants when it comes to worship, a word that includes race, but the rest of the stuff as well. Let's look at James chapter two because I think we find the word and we also find an explanation of what I'm trying to talk about. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, 
must not show, and here's the word, favoritism. Now, I'll admit, in the English language, it isn't always a great word because it doesn't feel very strong. The word racism feels like a strong word. Favoritism feels like a weaker word. Can't do anything about that. But it is the word in the text. And consistently throughout the Bible, when God talks about how he interacts with Jews and Greeks, how he interacts with Jews and Gentiles, how he interacts with rich and poor, over and over again it says, God shows no favoritism. God does not play favorites. God does not have favorites. There is no partiality with God. It is a broad word and it covers all bases. Basically what the word means in Greek is, God doesn't look at the face. He doesn't look at outward appearance and make his decisions based on external stuff. And the Bible says we as believers must not show favoritism. We must not discriminate. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, But to the poor man, you say, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, I think if we're honest, if Denzel Washington wanted to come to church here, or Clarence Thomas, or Beyonce, or Steph Curry, we'd bend over backwards to have them be part of the church. Most of us would want to be in a small group with them. Most of us would want to hang out with them. Which tells me the issue is not simply skin color. The question James is asking, is would you act that same way for any black person who walked in the church? Would you act that same way for any Middle Eastern person or any uh, uh, Asian person who came in the church? Would you bend over backwards regardless of whether they are rich or powerful or well-known, regardless of whether they think the same way you and I think about things, whether they have the same politics, whether they want to sing the same songs? What James is asking is, look, it's not simply a matter of skin color. That's part of it. The deeper issue is, are you making judgments? Am I making judgments on the basis of these are the kinds of people I feel comfortable with. These are the kinds of people who look like I do. They sing the songs I want to sing. They talk about politics the way I want to talk about politics. They don't talk about race in ways that make me feel uncomfortable. Am I only going out of my way to befriend and welcome to church. We're not talking about what's going on in society. In the church worship service and what goes on throughout the week, am I going out of my way to welcome people only who are rich or powerful or have a certain skin color or think about politics in a certain kind of way? That's not what God wants. That's not what God deserves. So what do we do about this? (laughs) Well, 
That's a tough question. As I thought about it this week, I felt a little, do you know that passage in the Bible where they're gonna rebuild the temple and they lay the foundation of the temple and half the people are weeping because it looks so small and insignificant and the other half are rejoicing because at least something is happening? I feel that way somewhat about this issue. On one hand, I'm rejoicing. And I'm saying, I've been at Calvary Church a long time. And at Calvary Church, you no longer have to be white or Dutch. (laughs) You don't have to be rich. You don't have to wear a certain kind of clothing to be part of what's going on here. And I rejoice in that. I celebrate that. I celebrate that we're on a journey and we've come a ways. And you can look at the foundation and go, hallelujah, God's building something here. And that's a good thing. But I also am one in heart with those who look and weep and say, but God could have so much more. Imagine if Calvary Church looked like heaven. Imagine if it had people of every different race worshiping together. People where politics didn't really matter. We could still worship together. Where it didn't matter how much money you made or what your job was or whether you were older or younger, any of those kinds of things. And I look and I say, it's okay to weep. We got a ways to go. So what do we do? Well, if we had more time, we would go through James 2, and let me encourage you on your own, if you've got time, to read the rest of the passage. There's two things that are suggested in James. One I think that we at Calvary Church are doing better at, and one that I would love to see us do much better at. The first is James says, look, you're making decisions on the wrong basis. You're choosing people on the basis of wealth, or education, or politics, or skin color, or whatever it may be. And James says that's a foolish way to make decisions. What you ought to do is you ought to ask God to help choose for you elders and people on staff and people who are part of the worship team and for God to be part of asking God who's going to be preaching and doing these kinds of things. Because with God, he doesn't play favorites. So at Calvary Church, we no longer vote for people to be elders. We don't put up a slate of candidates and say, pick which one you want. That system was ripe for favoritism. It was ripe for picking the person that you happen to know or feel comfortable with or looks like you or whatever it may be. And now we cast lots and we look, Lord, you know, you pick. I love that. We're trying as a staff not simply to choose people for positions based on who's got the best resume or who might fit into the culture the best because What if God wants to change the culture here? How's he going to do that if you're only hiring people who look like you or act like you or think like you? And so we're trying to ask God, God, you make the decisions. And I know my own tendencies. I tend to like people who like me or I tend to like people who think about things the way I do. And the one way out of that is God doesn't play favorites. 
And the more you and I can ask God to make decisions about who's supposed to be elders here, who's supposed to be involved in worship leading, who's supposed to be in your small group, who's supposed to be who you're supposed to invite out for uh, lunch or, or hang out with them. The more we let God make those decisions, the more the fact that God simply doesn't judge people on their race and he doesn't judge people on their politics and he doesn't judge people on their, uh, their, their way of life or how much money they have, it helps. We've talked about that actually a reasonable amount at Calvary Church, and I feel like we're doing okay with that. I feel like we pray a lot. I feel like we try to listen to the Lord. We got to do more of it, and the more we do, the more it's going to help. There's a second thing I don't think we do as well, and that's in the second half of James 2, this section. What God says is, look, getting rid of racism or favoritism is not enough. You got to replace it with something. And the thing God wants us to replace it with is mercy. This is the thing that I'm, when I look at my heart, I go, man, Lord, I want to give you something better than what we're currently giving you. It's a great first step to stop hating people, to stop discriminating against people, to stop judging people who look different than we do or than you do or than I do. But there's a second step that's required. And the second step is mercy. And one of the things going on in the world today, as you think about in our country, many of the racial issues, it is the truth of the matter, and I spent five weeks with the Lord letting him confirm that over and over again. It is harder to be black in this country than it is to be white. It's harder to be old than it is to be young. It's harder to be poor than it is to be rich. It's harder to be a woman than it is to be a man. Of course, these are generalizations. I understand that there are unique circumstances, but the recognition is this can be a very tough place if you happen to be black or you happen to be a woman or if you happen to be poor. This can be a hard country to make your road in and what God says is I want mercy. Of course everybody's going to knock themselves over to have Steph Curry be part of their church or Denzel Washington or somebody rich or famous. What God says is look, look around you. There are people. It's harder to be a refugee in this country than it is to be a citizen. God says, look around, there are people that you need to bend over backwards to help them. It's not enough if two people walk into the church and you're like, well, just pick one. No, what God says is, look, there are people who are coming in the doors of this church for whom their existence and their experience in this country and in this world, because they're black or because they're a woman or because they're poor or because they're a refugee or because of whatever, is simply hard. And the merciful thing, God says, what I want is the kind of church that will run after those that are having difficult experiences and say, we want to bless you. How can we bless you? To bend over backwards to be a blessing. To not just wait and go, well, let's see who signs up for our small group. There are people who are hurting that have had a difficult experience to go and find them and to say, would you please come and join us? We need you to be part of who we are. We want to get to know you better. And that's the thing for us as a church that I think, man, Lord, you deserve better.
I see, I see some of that happening and I'm so grateful for it. The good news is, is when they're building that temple and like half the people are weeping because the foundation is small and the other half are rejoicing because it looks, at least we're making progress. The Lord's word is, don't be afraid, I'm with you, just keep working. And so my prayer and encouragement to each one of us is that God does not play favorites. He does not choose people that he likes better. He does not make decisions on the basis of skin color or on the basis of economics or on who's more fun to hang out with. He doesn't make decisions that way. And so the encouragement to us is let him make as many decisions as possible because he's better at this than we are. And two, you and I need to have mercy. We need to stop thinking about just how tough our life is and think there are people in this world who are hurting. They have a hard road and all things being equal, the wind is blowing more fiercely against them. And God says, go out of your way to love them, embrace them, welcome them, give them a great seat, get to know them, Enjoy the blessing of the diversity of cultures and races and backgrounds that God has given us that we might offer to him the worship that he deserves. I'd like to do something special here. We're gonna close in prayer. I'm gonna spend a little bit of time praying. What I'd like you to do at home, here in the sanctuary, is close your eyes. And I want you just for a minute to envision Calvary Church looking like heaven. I want you to look around and see seated in the seats of the sanctuary, in our small groups, participating in ministries, people of as many languages, cultures, backgrounds, skin color, all throughout Calvary Church. Take just a minute. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? Can you hear different languages being spoken? Can you see blacks and whites and Hispanics and Arabs all worshiping Jesus together? Now, while your eyes are closed, I want you to picture all that happening in the sanctuary. And then I want you to think of a non-Christian walking into the middle of that sanctuary. I want you to think about a non-Christian who's just read all the news stuff and is so confused and trying to figure out how does all this racial stuff work and how does all this take place. Imagine them walking into the middle of that service. Can you see the look on their face? Now with your eyes closed, I want you to then shift your perspective from what's happening in the sanctuary to heaven. And I want you to visualize Jesus' face looking down on a congregation full of rich and poor, black and white, Koreans and Japanese, older people, younger people, people with special needs, refugees, 
all the people for whom Jesus died. Can you imagine the smile on his face? Keep your eyes closed while I pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.